Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the MSRP Podcast. I am your host, Jason Lewis Aloise, along with my man, Bobby Binger Bench. Good. I, I figured we use, uh, you know, we're starting to get to know each other really well. We might as well start using middle names. How's your 4th of July? <laughs> Family friends in town. Saw the fireworks in Abacoa and Newport, Florida for my porch. So I was, I was worn out. I got uh, spontaneously invited to a wedding by an old college friend who uh, just happened to be having his wedding and had a good time. How about you? Good. Same old. Uh, went to the West Coast. It was my wife's 40th birthday. We went to Naples, celebrated with family and friends. Can't complain. But I do have one gripe i know you and i start with the usual gripe of the week mine is the master bedroom man it's like a lost art essentially in the sense that it used to be sacred ground meaning that when i was a kid and i went over to somebody's house you never even looked into the master bedroom you never even looked in it right did you have that same experience yeah. uh yeah master bedroom was sacred in any household everything was you know usually accessible but that was always no no right and and that's what i'm getting at and so my house is the kind of house where all the kids come over. I love having the kids over, whatever. We got the best snacks. I make sure my wife does that. Slowly, they just waltz into the master bedroom like it's their own room. And I'm like, guys, this is the master bedroom, man. This is sacred ground. You know, you know. when I was a kid, I didn't even look in there. It's like, whoa, no, 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 no. We're not going into the master bedroom. No way, no how. Either, either way, door open, closed. You got to knock and announce your presence. You know, just waltz in there. You just don't waltz into a master bedroom. What is this? Come on. There's rules, you know? So... I, the other day, there's like four or five kids at the house. They're just eating snacks, chomping away, eating snacks, watching movies. And guess what they're doing? They're chilling on the bed in the master bedroom watching movies. One of the kids is like, hey, man, come on in. You want to watch a movie? I'm like, all right, everybody out. Get out of the master bedroom. It's a lost art. <laughs> I can't take it anymore. Get the hell out. Yeah. They moved to another room. But that's my only gripe of the week. It was 4th of July. We love America's pastime with holidays in addition to baseball. We do have a special guest today. He is a local legend around these parts. We've we we've had one local legend in the dry cleaning slash golf business. That was Dry Clean Bob. Everybody loved him. But we also have a movie producer today. He has done many movies. He was in Caddyshack 2, Revenge of the Nerds 2. He has produced numerous films. He was the right hand to the one and only Burt Reynolds, who unfortunately has passed away. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the great C, Todd Venom. Thank you, Jason. How are we doing today? Well, at that intro, uh, better than anybody ever imagined. <laughs> well, we try to make everybody look good on this podcast. Absolutely. You've been living in this county for what? Most of my life. Uh, I was born in South Carolina, but uh, my parents had met down here, had family and friends down here. Right. So even when I wasn't living down here, I spent a lot of time down here with my grandparents and what have you. And then uh, when I was five or six is when... They moved back down to this area, so a long time, most of my life. You right. know, I'm, I was I wasn't born here. I cannot claim being a Florida native, but what do they call them? That, Florida crackers? Yeah, absolutely, Florida Bob, crackers. Yep, Bobby, is that what they call yep. them? Florida crackers? Uh, I don't know if it's PC, but you said it. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, uh, a good friend of mine recently passed away, unfortunately, but he was born and raised down here. And that town where the dolphins and the heat play, he didn't pronounce it the way anybody else does. He pronounced it the way it was pronounced by Florida people, Miami. Mama. Yep. Now, you know who used to say that? Keith Jackson, whenever he did a hurricane game. Absolutely. And that's what it was until sometime probably in the 80s when it really, really became Miami or Miami. Miami. Yep. Wow. So, 
Yeah, there's a Florida cracker accent. There's all kind of, you know, there's great Florida heritage that people overlook all the time. Oh, we love Florida. Bobby loves Florida. Mm-hmm. I do. Everybody else does. We, we live in paradise. We, we sure do. We live where people come to visit. And pay lots of money to do it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> we wanted to have you on today. How does one, from the sense that I get, everybody thinks that acting is easy. Oh, I could just go on. How does one become an actor? How does one become a producer? That's a two-pronged question. It sure is. And they're totally interrelated, but also totally separate jobs. And uh, I kind of liken it to, if you work in a department store, it's the guy who winds up uh, you know, stocking the shelves right? versus the guy who winds up loading the stock room. I mean, they're kind of the same deal, but they're totally different in terms of organization, inventory, where you start, where you finish, when you can do it, how you can do it, and all that kind of stuff. And where would you, okay, being that you were an actor and a producer, what do you like doing better? Uh, well, both are very rewarding. I have to say that if you produce well, all your work is done prior to the production, pretty much. The rest is just following up and following, making sure everything's okay. But you don't even wind up on set. The set is where the real magic happens. Producing yeah. is kind of like being the district manager of that department store, if you will. You might never make it to that stock room or that other store. But if you're the actor, you're right down there in the heat of things, and that's when the magic happens. I say action. Jack Lemmon said it every time the camera rolled. It's magic time. That's awesome. Yeah. And just so you guys know, Todd and I worked together on a recent project uh, that aired on Newsmax, and we had the pleasure of working with Governor Mike Huckabee, who was just a gem. Mm -hmm. Heck of a guy. We can't wait to have him on the show. Mm -hmm. Now, Great guest. Oh, he was the best, man. I wish we could use so many of his other stories. He is a he's a professional musician, also as one of his credits. And he was telling us some great stories about his guitars, his first guitar he ever got, yeah. how he wound up shifting to bass, which he thought was going to be easier. And there again, that's acting and, and producing too. It's guitar versus right. rhythm guitar versus bass versus you know some other stringed instrument possibly. Right. And so you guys know too, we did a Christmas special uh, with him, and like we said, he was just a joy to work with. And I picked him up from the airport. And I said to him, I said, Governor, you know, I got a truck. We could get you another car. He goes, Jason, I'm from Arkansas. Let's roll. I was like, this is my guy. Yep. We're going to have a good time today. Absolutely. And he's just a consummate professional. You can't put a price on that. No. And no. my question to you is, and Bobby, anytime you want to jump in, on the contrary, are there people who aren't nice in the business? And I see you laughing as you sip. Go ahead. I was working on a project and uh, we had to reset a camera. And there was an actress who had done her close-up. Now we're rotating the camera around. We're going to get the actress she's doing with an over-the-shoulder shot past her. And she's missing. Really? She's just gone. And uh, 45 minutes later, she shows up. And she says, I needed to take a walk to clear my head. Why? <laughs> I right. mean, your hard work has been done. Your close-up is done. Now you have to feed the lines to your partner, which is difficult because they have to work off of you. Yeah, and, and didn't tell anybody, you know, right. and is that it, it, it wasn't negligence because she had been on sets before. She should have known the, the, the protocols, things like that, but just literally gone and we're stalled. And now the other actor is getting all frustrated. So his take is now going to be tainted with his emotions toward her for slowing things down. And yeah, there's all kinds of stories like that. And there's also other things where people wouldn't do a scene with somebody else on the reverse. You know, I've done my take. I'm going to leave. Right. You know, literally. And that's what we thought maybe she had done. So all kind of, uh, and, and people that would surprise you, some really big name stars that you've, you've read about. I don't need to mention any names because they're all out there and they've left the TV series and they haven't been asked back to other TV series because of their behavior on those sets. And people just don't want to work with that. That's, that's, you know? that's fascinating. I mean, as you know, we did that one interview over there in Palm Beach. We yes. were in and out of there literally within four hours from load in, set up, breakdown, interview. 
and load out. Right. Within three and a half hours. And that's funny too. Bobby, your dad did a lot of the Bob Hope Christmas specials. Mm. I would love to ask him, or maybe you know, Bobby, how did he make that transition from being a captain on the field to being around a large television production? How Did, did he ever talk to you about that? Uh, it was very natural. It came a lot up from the upbringing from my grandpa's head. I know he mentioned it in his Hall of Fame induction speech that as he was trying to produce his family, and he said, oh, I'm sure most of you have already met my grandpa, or my, as he said, because he's met everybody in town. I checked into his hotel room, Mickey Mantle, Ted Williams, all these great Hall of Famers. My dad's excited to me. He said, hey, I already met your dad. So he already had this great social presence, very personable uh, mentor to show him that way. So he made that transition very easily from the sports field into the TV industry, into the entertainment industry because he just had that great figure to uh, mimic off of. I, could yeah, o- I give a lot of credit to my grandpa on that, but dad definitely worked hard on that. I can only imagine. I, I actually watched one of the Bob Hope Christmas specials. I think it was in the late 60s or 70s. I got to tell you, man, he was pretty suave and debonair with the leather jacket on, the hair. He was funny. He was. He did a great job. Oh, yeah. He, he still got his one-liners. That's the one thing I I wish he always taught me. I don't know how much my grandpa taught him because my grandpa passed away when I was about one and a half years old, so I didn't get to pick up on too much of that charisma. A lot of these great one-liners and stories my dad always, I always thought he came up with off the cuff. He had it all written down. I went through his filing cabinet when I first moved down here to help organize, and he had all these pages of notes. It's like, oh, you were, he was prepared. Right. That's right. I just, I didn't realize that connection was like he, he came with those notes. He knew what he was doing. He had the triggers ready to go off of that. But that's yeah, right. no. If I can't right here camera, for a second, I know he's always in great events. Uh, he, you know, he keeps being uh, a sought after uh, public speaker. So yeah, I guess my question for Tony, kind of off of that, would be for certain actors, a certain per- personality that you're working with. Tony. Do you allow a level of negligence based on someone who's already kind of busted their chops, someone who has proven themselves as like, okay, you know, they, they have a little bit of a right to do this versus younger people who haven't made their place yet? Well, I, I see exactly the opposite, is that the, the, the biggest names that I've ever worked with are the ones that come in there and they just, you know, they hit the ground running, they do what they got to do, and, and they don't, you know. Now, later on, maybe there's some jocularity and things like that. But uh, a quick interjection about your dad. Um, you talk about him being a public speaker. I saw him recently at the ballpark of the Palm Beaches where he was a special guest first base coach for the Savannah Bananas. Oh, yeah. And he didn't speak to anybody, but his attitude showed through. You know, he was out there, on, you know, and he, he, he threw out the first pitch and uh, – and uh, he came over and just waved at, you know, both sides of the stands over the dugouts and whatnot. But, I mean, it was just a great attitude to do something like that. And, you know, he, and he played the game. He played the role. And that's why he was there. And it's certainly not anything belittling. Some, some people think it's beneath them. And once somebody thinks that they're bigger than any project, you know, it's just a swelled head. It's a shame. But it happens. Uh, we all have to kind of learn that, I think, at times, too. But, uh, no, the, the really good ones, they come prepared. They do their pre-production they have their notes. They might not use them all, but they're ready. I want to ask you about a professional, um, and and Bobby does too. Where you know we were talking. Tell us about the the man. First of all, before we talk about Burt Reynolds, I got to tell you, I went to the University of South Florida. A lot of people I knew went to Florida State. I don't think, and I, this is just merely my opinion. I don't think. Burt Reynolds really knew how much of a legend he was in Tallahassee. Do you? He didn't know how much of a legend he was anywhere. Yeah. He was very humble and uh, totally self-effacing, but he was a craftsman. You know, it was like the, the, the plumber, the best plumber in town, but he was, you know, he did his work and he did it better than anybody else. 
Right. And and a good example of that is there's a new TV show out called The Offer. It's not it's it's been out for a while. It just ended. And I don't want to give any ten episode thing. I yes. I'm gonna be watching this. I do a film class. We just looked at The Godfather. Yes. And we're gonna be now going into some of the offer. It is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I talked I believe I talked about it. I don't remember what I did yesterday, but I think I talked about it. That was the first episode. Yeah. <laughs> but in the end, Albert Ruddy said, I don't want to do Godfather 2. There's this guy. I wrote a I wrote a script. It's called The Longest Yard, and I want one person and one person only to star in it, and it was Burt Reynolds. Yep. You know, it's funny. Uh, James Conn's just passed away, and what he a little loss. And uh, I tell you what, and as a, a guy that just had started playing football myself, when Brian Song, I'm getting goosebumps just talking about this right now. You do. I do yeah. see him. Um, uh, James Conn as Brian Piccolo, and I didn't realize Brian Piccolo had ties to South Florida. And uh, he grew up in Miami. Brian Piccolo Park is down in Broward County. And he right. would have gone to Florida State, but he wound up with scholarships because problems with scholarships and his, what his major wanted to be. And uh, he played with Tucker Fredrickson, who was the number one pick in the draft uh, for the Giants. He played against all kind of amazing people in Florida down here. Well, that performance of him and Brian's song was so amazing. The next, the other guy, if James Conn had said no, that role was going to go to Burt Reynolds. Really? He was heartbroken because he was a huge football player. He wanted to be a – he was drafted by the Baltimore Colts. He was going to be – you know, he, his dream was to be a football player. He, right. His fallback was acting. Well, when he did The Longest Yard, he achieved a lifetime dream because he was paid to play football, which made him a pro. He had to then give up his college eligibility, which he still had two years left on. But that's his favorite project ever. Talk about having to do pre-production work. They wanted to shoot it in Florida. The governor didn't like Mr. Reynolds, and they made him go someplace else, so he went to Georgia – the governor up there was a man named Jimmy Carter, who was a pretty good guy and wound up becoming president because of that, him taking care of business. Again, right. it goes back to taking care of business. So they shot in Georgia, and uh, they even placed the uh, prison, supposedly the Citrus State Prison, the fictional one for Florida, and they said it was from West Palm Beach. They had a couple signs in there when he was driving around before he got arrested in West Palm. So a lot of ties into Florida, and, um, and he loved Al Ruddy. He worked with him on a number of films. Uh, including one he did about volleyball. So it was always a sports and Al Ruddy tie-in uh, with that. Al Ruddy just a great producer, and uh, they were they were friends to the end. You don't hear stories like that every single day no. where we're just starting out a podcast and we're talking about Al Ruddy, Burt Reynolds, and The Godfather, and The Longest Yard. And again, in Jupiter, I mean, he was just, Burt Reynolds was just a, a legend, you know? I believe his museum is still there. Is that correct? No, the museum went away a few years back. Uh, that's now where the... Uh, uh, harborside development is gotcha um, i've heard various possible things that uh the family wants to do i'm uh not sure where that's going to go but we'll see right but uh jupiter was amazing and you mentioned you know burt reynolds presence there little known fact too that uh the burt reynolds ranch in jupiter farms area was not named for the actor it was named for his father it was really burt big burt's ranch really yep and uh, some amazing things were there. They built a film studio in there. Uh, they had a recording studio. The Allman Brothers Band recorded uh, a couple of their albums there. Uh, a lot of other people, they co- several films were shot there. Smoking Bandit 2 was the first one shot mostly on the actual ranch itself. Right. Yeah. That's phenomenal. What do you see a difference from today's production and acting to back in, let's say, the mid-'80s? Well, I'd probably go even further back than that, Okay. Back when the studio system was running, there was a much more efficient production schedule for all sorts of films. When Humphrey Bogart made Casablanca, it wasn't, we're going to make a blockbuster. Right. The way they do now with various other things. And sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. 
but it was just the next film that they wound up doing. But it turned into a classic because it just came together so very well because of all that great talent. And you look at that cast of Casablanca, it's amazing. Unfortunately, in the 80s, that was when video started coming in and people started cutting corners. They started shooting things on video and it was a cheaper video. It wasn't like the video they're shooting now, which is 4K, 5K, 10K they have out now, things like that too. And they were just rushing it because they knew it was video. And in fact, Mr. Reynolds, you have that great scene in Boogie Nights where he goes, you're going to tell me I'm going to shoot my movies on video? <laughs> no, I'm not going to do that. I'm a filmmaker. Right. Right. You know? So there was a big shift there to, uh, I think, what could very uh, be argued as a, possibly an inferior quality pro- product itself. That's fascinating. How many years in the business? Uh, I don't know. Two? Three? Yeah. <laughs> Times 30? Tell us about your new project. Uh, it's a really great one, and we're here doing a podcast, and it ties in greatly. It's called Conspiracy America. It's currently on the Tubi network, which is a free TV network. You can watch it on smart TVs or apps. And uh, there's a podcaster who is – it's actually she's a private eye who has a podcast called Conspiracy America. And she's been hired to follow a guy, uh, another private eye, ironically, played by me, who is uh, involved in a romantic – entanglement and uh there's all kind of extra twists the fact that a pi is following another pi and her best friend is in the media so there's a nice little twist there as well because of the content of her podcast she has to be very very secretive because of the content of her investigation she has to be very very secretive and it it unfolds in a very very dramatic way I love books that are written by girls, guys like Carl Hyacin or people that used to write for the newspapers because you know that there's a story in there that was a real story that they right. had to veil. Well, this project was written, produced, and directed by Johnston Blakely, who is in real life not only a private investigator, but he has a private investigation school. So he knows the ins and outs of that business. And it's an honor to work with him because he did amazing pre-production. Walk on the set. Everything's ready to go. Here's what you're going to do. You show up ready, and you do it. And it winds up on Tubi getting great reviews. And where what what time is it going to air? Is it a TV show? No, it's one you can you can log into it. It's an on demand type thing. Beautiful. The Tubi T U B I network or yep. app is a really good access. You watch a couple ads in it. It's totally free, sponsored by the ads. You don't have to pay anything. The ad is free. The app is free. Everything's great. We have a great cast. Uh, Suzanne Covey plays the main private investigator, uh, the reporter. Uh, Tara is played by an excellent amazing uh, actress, I Langdon, who I've known for a number of years. I get to work with Sherman Roberts, uh, the bad guy, who may be a bad guy in real life, too. This guy named Adam Blastovic. And uh, several others, Damaris Cruz. Uh, I'm leaving a couple out. I don't mean to do that, but uh, that's the way it happens when you're under the gun. No, you get this I microphone shoved in your mouth. I loved it. And I, hey, Bobby, it's funny. I asked him before we went on. I said, hey, uh, is there anything you want to you know, talk about anything you want to promote. He goes, oh, yeah, I'm doing this. I got this thing on Tubi called Conspiracy America. And I said, hold on, dude. Is this politics? He goes, no, it's actually the – because obviously we like to shy away from politics on this show. But he said, no, it's actually about a podcast. And uh, it, this is perfect time. And I said, well, have at it. Talk yep. about it. Yeah. And it was shot right here in Palm Beach County. Um, there's some amazing film work that happens all over the state of Florida. In fact, there was an article – in a Georgia newspaper recently, praising the the work that happens down in Florida. Florida has everything a filmmaker could need. But what do they need? They need, well, for one thing, it's a clean industry, okay? Even the clean industry that we've had here for years, in terms of some of the aerospace things, there's some dirtiness to that. Right. But the film company will come into town, 
They set up their shop. They use lodging. They use uh, restaurants. They use supply chain issues. They, they, they need to fix a table or build a new set. They go to Home Depot and buy the wood or Lowe's, wherever they're going to go. They, I mean, so they're patrons in the neighborhood. They, and all the crew is going to eat here. All the crew is going to sleep here. And then they use the recreation stuff on the downtime. And then they leave, and they don't leave a mess. There's nothing to clean up after them. And the finished product is like a postcard an advertisement for the area. Uh, there's a movie Jason Statham made uh, called uh, Parker, and you can see Palm Beach and the Flagler waterfront in it uh, very clearly if you're looking away from Jennifer Lopez driving the car. But uh, <laughs> she uh, and he have given us this legacy. And this movie Parker, uh, shot locally, it uh, you know advertises, come down here. Like you said earlier, people come down here. We're lucky to be here already. Exactly. Yeah. And thank you so much for sharing that. Now, rumor has it, well, there is no rumor, has it? We talked about it, that you're a huge baseball guy. I have been in the past, uh, sometimes up and down. You know, the COVID thing really screwed things up, I think, for all kind of different fan bases. I love it. Go ahead. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you're trying to watch and uh, you're going, well, oh, that guy's out sick now. The whole team has to postpone the game. And it's just, it gets, it got pretty frustrating. And uh, I haven't paid as much attention this year as I should have because it's just sort of tougher getting back into it. Everybody, you know, we got locked down and got into these lockdown routines and we're creatures of habit, and it's sometimes tough to break out of them. Who's your favorite baseball team? Favorite baseball team of all time or right now? Tell me what, tell me what you told me before the show. Well, you said I haven't watched since the Expos left oh, Palm Beach. Yeah. Well, the Montreal Expos used to have their spring training camp down at the West Palm Beach Municipal Stadium. I'm a traditionalist. I love the old stadiums. Um, it was really great. And I used to go to the spring training games down there, and I had a couple of friends of mine that played for the Expos, and they were sharing the camp at the time with – the Braves. Oh, I remember. And that. I got to meet Hank Aaron. I got to meet Luke Appling, Hall of Famer from the 30s. Um, it was just amazing uh, hanging around those guys. And same type of, there's a parallel. You talk about, you know, what do you have to do to be a, in the film industry? Sports is the same type of thing. People go, oh, I mean, they're just playing baseball, throwing the ball around. These guys analyze their swing. These guys exercise their piriformis on a special machine so that when they come back, they don't hurt their back twisting around the other way. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yep. Bobby, what do you say? The Expos were a great team. What are, what are kind of sports are you watching now? Is it a baseball kind of holding you out because of the uh, lockouts and COVID? But, um, I mean, what has been your favorite sports team or sports memory? You said your, kind of your favorite sports team now or back then. So what was the back then team you wanted to mention? Well, overall, the, the Green Bay Packers. They've won more championships than any other team in any other league, including your Yankees. Really? <laughs> yep. Yep. How many and we got? I think it's 14. Oh, well, then the Yankees have 27. We've doubled that. Okay, well, <laughs> uh, they've changed that a little bit. Anyway, but uh, they've won more than any other football team, definitely, including the Patriots. Uh, Patriots, unfortunately, uh, are getting closer, but they haven't gotten there yet. I remember a few years back, the Packers were doing really good. Brett Favre was playing, and they beat the 49ers in a divisional championship. And I think they were going to play a wild card team then in the NFC championship. And when they beat the 49ers, I had a real, I, it was just an emotional release. And I think I was pretty sure they were going to go on and win the Super Bowl. And they did that year. And that, that moment there, I remember sitting and just emotional, very, very emotional about the whole thing. I get it. Uh, yeah. Let me tell you something. Um, you know, when I married my, my wife, I said, listen, you know, there's two things that are going to happen. You know, we're going to, we're going to have a long lasting marriage. Hopefully if the jets ever go to the Super Bowl, I'm going. I don't care what it costs, what it takes, I'm going. Yep. And she just laughs at me. <laughs> yeah, sure. 
Yeah. Whenever they go. And it's just a long-running joke that we have. I'm not going to lie. I'd probably shed a few tears. It, even if they just went. Well, and, and they should. And they will eventually. I mean, that's one of the things about the parody in the NFL. Unfortunately, the NFL is set up now to allow teams to ebb and flow cyclically. And we even saw that with the Patriots. That's what happened. when That's part of why Brady left. They could not afford him any longer because of the situation with the you know salary caps and things like that. The Jets will bounce back. I know that. Oh, man, I got a big smile on my face, Bobby. I hope he's right. <laughs> Don't give him false hope. <laughs> Don't give him false hope. Hey, at least We've you're talked about on the show before. Bad teams stay bad. The Browns and the Jets are always going to be the bottom of the barrel. Don't 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 give Jason's hope. Well, there is, a, there is a, a recent case study to belie that argument because the Jets and the Browns both have amazing structures behind them. That Both of the families that own them are good sports people. And for years, the Cincinnati Bengals have been considered to be the lower echelon of NFL teams because of, of spending and other issues like that, too. And look what's happened with Joe Burrow. Look what's happened with uh, his uh, wide receiving guy who came from LSU also. I'm drawing a blank on his name right Jamar now. Jamar Chase. Jamar Chase, thank you, number one. So, um, so and, the word on the Bengals, I can give a little insight on that, is that for a long time the ownership of the Bengals was Mike Brown. Right. And he was not very invested in the team on that like sports business side. He was mostly worried about what money goes in his pocket, what money was from the taxpayers was helping to cover costs at the stadium. Yep. So letting guys like C.J. Bushman, Rod, uh, Andrew Whitworth, a lot of these, uh, Jonathan Joseph, a lot of these great names over the years keep letting go was on that side. Oh, sure. And now, in fact, uh, was it Carson? Uh... happening with Joe Burrow and Joe Mixon and Jamar Chase. What's happening is that in the past, I believe, year and a half, the controlling interest as far as what happens on the field and in the business is going to his granddaughter, who, you know, she's is going to the younger generation. Right. She's wanting to prove something. So that's what I hear is the transition is when you see the Bengals go to the Super Bowl because the person at the helm is now, hey, I want to develop the team, not the business. And that, and that's a good point, Bobby. And, and you know, we were talking about that in pre-production today, that the unorthodox way of the Baltimore Orioles doing what they're doing. Last week on the show, I said that Brandon Hyde is going to be the manager of the year. Um, I still stick by that. They've won five in a row. They're 40 and 44 in the toughest division in baseball. I don't care what anybody says. What you're going to bring, the AL East is the best. You know what? They're doing it with pitching. They're doing it with a good bullpen. And Bobby, you were saying some other things as well as far as Baltimore really kind of turning things around. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're going to give anything a uh, tribute for the Baltimore Orioles' success, I want to say that you go to the scouting department. This is something, you know, where maybe a GM kind of reaps the benefits of his predecessor because we talked about what the Astros did as far as they trade away their whole team when they had the all-stars of Michael Bourne, Hunter Pence, Lance Kirkman, uh, all those guys that they retooled their team. I was curious if the Orioles did the same thing, and they did not at all. You look at their team of Brian Roberts, grand free agency. Nick Marquez, grand free agency. Same with Matt Weaver's, JJ Hardy, uh, Adam Jones. All those guys were just like, oh, they didn't actually convert for anything. You know, the, the one thing maybe they got out of the Man Shadow deal is Dean Kremer, who's, you know, pitching very well for them right now. But otherwise, Mancini, Means, Mountcastle, Mullins, Hayes, Rutschman, all of them got. It's impressive. And <clears throat> I like what Brandon Hyde said. You know, with our approach when it comes to the pitchers is, you know, we're not going to jo jock the Orioles too too much. But, you know, what he said was is attack the pitchers. Don't nibble. Don't try to eat. Just go after them, you know. And I think it's working. I mean, 
they're 40 and 44 in the toughest division in baseball. Um, and obviously, we all know who's at the top of that division mm-hmm. at 60 and 23. McKay always gets a smile when I yeah. say it. Go ahead, bud. That's yeah, the Yankees. a boy. You know, Jim York, the guy who runs Connecticut School of Broadcasting, who we can't thank enough. Just, what's, what's Connecticut School of Broadcasting? The Connecticut School of Broadcasting is where we do this weekly. And what they do is they love putting talent on the air, such as McKay as an engineer. You know, going back to what... Jim pops his head in here. He goes, no Yankee talk today. He's a diehard Red Sox fan. <laughs> I'm like, dude, you're 15 games back. Yankees beat the Sox last night. Six to five. Garrett Cole still got shelled. Oh, God. Jim's going to be pounding on the door in a second. I know. He's going to come in here. What are you talking about? Go ahead, Bobby. If you wanted to speak on, on you know, what's going on with the Yankees as well, because I have a couple thoughts I want to share, too. You know, I, again, the Yankees are the evil empire, so I'm not too invested on their ins and outs. But I think the one thing I am going to be concerned and pay attention to is Aaron Judge and his home run projection. Yeah. Um, I think I heard Chris Russo say it the other day, really, to a pure baseball fan, the numbers that matter in the game and the record book is 61 and 755. So if we wipe mm. out Barry Bonds, Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire, Aaron Judge is on pace to hit 62 home runs this year. And I think just not only coming from a Yankee, but also from a sports fan, that's the number you want to see. So if someone's on pace to reach that, what I say is like the pure record. I'm all for it. I want to see him hit. He's a great guy. He's a great influence and mentor in the game. All to him. I'll go. Absolutely. And he's definitely, hands down, not even close, the number one most marketable guy in Major League Baseball right now. He's in the biggest media market in the world. He's great in the community. He gives back to the community. And talk about a guy who said, I don't need your 200 plus million dollars. I'm going to go ahead and bet on myself. And look what he's doing. You know, he, he bet on himself. Most likely, hopefully going to win the MVP if Jordan Alvarez or Jose Ramirez or Rafael Devers don't chase him down. We're talking about a 6'8 human being, 282 pounds, that plays center field, 5'2 a player, can dive over the fence, do whatever he wants, make the catch, steal bases. So do I think the Yankees are going to resign him? I don't know if Steinbrenner is going to step up. Um, I think if they win a World Series, they're going to have to re-sign him. Just channeling back to what you said, Bobby. Yeah, this probably is the pure home run chase that we're going to see this year. Obviously, we know with Bonds and McGuire and Sosa. So if he does hit 62, is he the real home run champ in a season? I'd I'd say so. Todd? Well, that's one of those things. Is it going to be a a double asterisk? I think that baseball, I've said this from the beginning. I think baseball is going to overtake the ratings of basketball and football if they do things right. They got to shorten the game. You got to get more of kids involved. You know, you got to have faces in the MLB like Aaron Judge, you know, and Mike Trout. I mean, is there anyone that's so valuable and less marketable than this guy? Like you go up to people who might casually watch baseball. They've never heard of him. That's insane. He's a modern day Mickey Mantle. If not better. Yeah. That's bold. But just for comparison's sake. Well, earlier I mentioned the Savannah Bananas, and that's one of their things. They not only do like the Harlem Globetrotters thing did to basketball, to baseball, but they literally, I think, want to shut the game down into these different rules that speeds it all up. No game lasts more than two hours. Right. And if it's tied at the end of that, they have a hit off. There's a lot of other things. All of the, there are no walks. There are all kind of special rules, but that's what they do for their fun games, but that's also what they do in some of their other challenge games. And under the legitimate rules in their league, which I think is AAA or AA, uh, they've won every year since they instituted all this new fun stuff because they just enjoy playing all forms of baseball, including banana ball, 
and I know. whatever the structured regular ball, for lack of a better term, is as well, and they're just tearing up the release. Well, we'll see what happens. Bobby, the other thing I wanted to talk about today is, you know, with football coming, and we spoke about him, is Deshaun Watson, man. I mean, this guy, the Browns... It's, it's insane. The The Browns just traded Baker Mayfield to Carolina for a fifth-round pick. Jacoby Brissett, local legend here, Dwyer High School, he's going to get the job done. He's not going to win you a game. He's not going to lose you a game. He's just going to control the ball, which is sometimes what's needed when you have a good running game with, you know, with Hunt and Chubb and all those guys. And how do you feel about what's going on with Deshaun Watson right now? You know, it's a little bit of a misnomer in this culture these days not to get into politics too much but it's supposed to be guilt or innocent until proven guilty and Deshaun Watson hasn't gotten there but it seems pretty apparent that we get there's a very much a social justice system that's taken over it's just tough because transactionally I feel like you got more value out of Baker Mayfield than a fifth round pick versus what you're going to get Deshaun Watson for a few first round picks um, so I just don't think that they got a good deal on either or if Deshaun Watson takes the Browns to, let's say, the championships, does all of this get washed away? I think it's one of those things like it's, we're, we're not really going to decide how it goes until the end, but I'm not on board with it. And I'm sure you're, as a business, you're not going to have people in Cleveland there to support them because of how they went about their business. And, and that's, that's funny you mentioned that too, because I think that he's not going to play this year. And I think Jacoby Brissett is good enough. When he's on, man, he is on. And I think that he is going to take them to the playoffs. I'm going to go on a limb here and say they're going to win the division with Jacoby Brissett. <laughs> it, it could happen. Brissett has actually never been in the right situation. That's, no, that's, that's a deal. great point. Yeah. Look what he did to the, with the Dolphins last year. Right. I mean, say what you will about the quarterback needing the momentum. But there was a couple of times when he came in cold and drove them nice. Okay. And he, who knows if he would have done that at the end of the game had he not been pulled a couple of other, other times. Uh, but that's what, you know, the coach decided. And that's a different deal, too. Um, he's tough, too. He's a tough. He, he reminds me of a modern day Steve McNair. I mean, he hmm. just takes a Interesting. beating. Okay. Man. He takes a beating and he keeps going, Brissett. He's tough. I wish him nothing but the best. I hope he goes out there and, you know, really says, you know, all right, I'm here starting quarterback. Yep. We know Deshaun's the guy. And we'll see what happens. You know, this is a very decisive year for the NFL, right? Let me tell you why. Still have Brady. Still doing it. You have, there's, you have what's going on with Deshaun Watson. I don't want to talk politics about the NFL, but it's just, there's a lot. And I'm very intrigued to see how they handle certain situations. You know, Roger Goodell just testified in Congress and they asked him questions that he was just so lost and confused on. Now, now, well, that wasn't his department. Yeah, that's above my pay grade. <laughs> Sir, you're the commissioner. There's nobody else higher than you except right. the owners. You know, he testified before Congress. They asked him a question he didn't know. It's going to be interesting to see how the league really gets things done and move mm-hmm. the ball forward. Because if you think in the future, Demarius Thomas, who died unexpectedly, had CTE. Yep. Okay. Aaron Hernandez, CTE. Big time. And... I think they've done a great job limiting the kickoffs, limiting the concussions, because mm. I think that's where a lot of concussions came from. But it's it's I love football, you know. I, everybody loves football, but I'm kind of rooting for the MLB. It could it could happen. Um, it that was always America's pastime. It's right. interesting too. Baseball is America's pastime, but footballs our national sport or whatever you want to call it. Right. Um, getting back to the uh, Watson thing, 
Two of the guys who were involved in Baltimore, Ray Rice and Ray Lewis, both had issues in their careers. Right. Well, Ray Rice, can't. he may have been the first victim of cancel culture. Right. You know, he never got a... Never and he got, should Never have. got the break. What he did was horrific. Ray Lewis, what he allegedly did was also... Now, he was charged and acquitted and is revered now as a hero in Baltimore still. Right. And so, he is. He's a, he's, he's, and we'll see what happens with, with Watson. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on there. And uh, I was just surprised that he will have sat for two years. Right. And been considered now to be, after that two-year layoff, to be a prime top five quarterback. Look at Le'Veon Bell. Mm-hmm. Didn't work. Right. Took the year off, said, I'm not going to get paid. Yep. And uh, he's not in football anymore. Mm-hmm. And this guy averaged, I believe his first few years in the league, he averaged more yards from scrimmage more than anyone else in the history of total, the Total NFL. offense. Yes. Right. So um, it's a long layoff. Football is a sport where you cannot take a long layoff, You man. can't get cold. No. No. And it's a, it's a copycat league, and you know they're going to pick up on that. They're going to pick up on things that if you if you're going to if you're going to let's say run the run and shoot, if you're going to do the the you know the shock, people are going to figure you out. We'll see what happens. And uh, you know before we we go, Todd, we just want to say thank you so much for coming on today. It was an absolute pleasure. Bobby and I and McKay can't thank you enough, and we'd love to have you back on again. Let me know. Um, I almost enjoy working with you at times. Um, <laughs> we uh, we had some great times there working on some of those things we worked on before, and hopefully some of those will still come to fruition. We'll see. You know, Bob, I, I always appreciate your dad so much. That, that big red machine. That was you, you want to talk about dynasties. That was when Major League Baseball still had a great, great foothold. What a team that was, and for you to be able to see all that stuff you saw must have really been special. The big red machine, I mean, my God, Pete Rose, Joe Morgan, Johnny Bench. I remember Johnny Bench played first base a few times because they were trying to save his knees. And uh, what a great player that was for him to be that adaptable, you know. And right. that, that taught me a lot about adaptability. The great ones have to be adaptable. He's just awesome. You know, so. Johnny, good guy. I mean, that's what you want to be, right? You know, mm-hmm. you want to be – you could be the captain of, a, of the big red machine, yep. Hall of Fame baseball player, best catcher of all time, and you can act. Yeah, and you can be personable, mm-hmm. and you can be someone who wants to be around people. Yep. So, and wishes America a Merry Christmas with Mike Huckabee. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, talk- he, uh, yeah, that's how me and Jason originally connected was through uh, oh, that, cool. Mike Huckabee Christmas special. Nice. Part of the last great baseball dynasty with a big red machine. Um, I don't think a lot of people realize that 1976 was the beginning of free agency. Okay, Kurt Flood. Yep, and that that yep. probably and that goes back to what I was talking about. Some of these, you know, with the studio system, the actors weren't free agents back then. Now they all are. They pick and choose their their uh, deals and their you know their roles and what have you. And it's uh it's a it's a different world than it once was in so many ways. But I don't want to go into that area. No. <laughs> but uh, we can't thank you enough for having you on. It's been an honor and a pleasure. You got it. And Bobby, you have fun in Vancouver, man. Great place, great food, great views. I I love. Northwest, he's come up here for summer camp in the uh, Orca Island. I love this environment, so I'm happy to be here. My lady up here, my my Canadian lady, and uh, oh wait, we got we got to go around the room one more time. What's the uh, the last thing that you've seen or want people to go watch? What we do normally is we ask people, or I'm sorry, we tell people, hey, go check this movie out, go mm. check this show out. What do you like? What do, what should you re- what do you recommend? What do you want people to see? Ah, uh, well, see, this is why I needed to come to the pre-production meeting. You were here. 
Well, uh, Top Gun, I've heard only amazing things about Top Gun. Oh, we, uh, yep. They were talking about maybe just releasing that on demand or something like that. I'm so glad they didn't. And I'm so glad they waited because it was well worth it. Um, people are telling me how great Miles Teller is in it. And he's, he's a guy who's been, all, he's been a great actor for a while now. And I think he might be, he might be positioned to become a superstar after this. Oh, he is. And it's funny you mention that because one of my buddies called me and he goes, dude, are you serious? Top Gun Maverick's the best sequel of all time? He goes, you're 100% Italian. Uh, hello, Godfather 2. I was like, you're right, man. I was in the moment. Give me a break, will you? Well, it could be. We don't, you know, time will tell. But uh, I almost don't look at it like a sequel. I almost look at it as a separate story with characters from another story, especially if you, it's been, what, 32 years? Is that what it is? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, somehow Tom Cruise has regressed in age, you know. <laughs> You think Tom Cruise is now older than Wilfred Brimley was in Cocoon. He's like, wow. <laughs> you think about that. Wow. You know. All right, so Top Gun. But he's, again, a guy at the top of his game. Absolutely. So Top Gun, that's your recommendation? I think so, unless you're going to watch Conspiracy America on Tubi. Oh, yes. They, they could actually go to, line, if it's a big line to see uh, to see uh, Top Gun 2, uh, Maverick is the full name, I believe. Uh, they can watch on their phone conspiracy america on the 2b app while they're waiting while they're waiting we love it well bobby and i can't thank you enough and uh my pleasure we'll have you back on soon look forward to it all right guys take care